are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I'm glad that time has come near for Christmas, and this month is a Christmas month. I'll talk to you today about the virgin birth of Christ, which is one of the great doctrines of the Bible. It's essential to the deity of Christ, and one who does not believe in the virgin birth is really doubting the actual deity of Christ and doubting the inspiration of the Bible, and so he's not a good Christian. Listen to what the Bible says in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou who art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. <clears throat> For, and when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered in her mind what manner of greeting this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age, and this is six months of her that was called barren. This is the story of how the angel came to the Virgin Mary. She was a young woman. How old? I don't know. Sixteen, eighteen, maybe twenty. And uh, now it's announced to her she's going to have a son. And what kind? The Spirit of the Lord God will come upon her, and she'll conceive, and so the child will be the Son of God. You see, the deity of Christ is connected with the virgin birth. And so we're plainly told here that Christ would be born without a human father. Oh, wonderful truth that God is coming to earth and that God will become man. And there's a way now to pay for man's sin and purchase back the ruined race and give people a chance to be saved. And so uh, Christ come born of a virgin mother. Now, the virgin birth of Christ is spoken of mentioned pretty often in the Bible. Somebody said it's only mentioned in Matthew and Luke. Well, now, you're ignorant then, evidently, and you don't know much about the Bible. You know better than that. In uh, Jeremiah 31, verse 22, uh, Now, how long wilt thou go about, O backsliding daughter? For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall compass a man. Now, notice carefully. It's a new thing, not the ordinary conception of a man and a woman, but a woman alone. A woman shall um, uh, conceive, compass a man. That is, that's a, one of the promises about the, this matter, that the uh, Lord Jesus would come uh, from a woman, a mother, without a human father. The same thing is implied when God said to Eve in the Garden of Eden, the seed of the woman shall cruise the, of course, the serpent's head and he shall bruise his feet. Not just the seed of a man and a woman, not just a seed of mankind, but a seed of a woman. That is, Christ is to be born of a virgin. That's so clearly taught in the Scriptures. It comes up again in Isaiah seven fourteen, And that's, uh, that's wonderfully sweet, and it's under controversy because wicked modernists would like to steal the crown of deity from the head of the Lord Jesus. But that Scripture says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give thee a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Uh, a sign should be given you, he said. He just said not only to this king, but to the whole house of David, a sign. The word sign in the Bible means a miraculous wonder, a marvelous demonstration. And so here's a miracle. What is that? That um, uh, the scripture says a, a virgin shall conceive. Not a young woman only, but a virgin woman. Not a woman who's to be married and then and conceive in uh, wedlock. No, no. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, the scripture said. 
Now, here's a wonderful truth. And somebody said, oh, but Brother Rice, the liberals, the modernists, and the revised standard version, and other translated by infidels, they say that that word Alma, the Hebrew word there translated virgin, should not mean virgin, but they're mistaken. I have gone over that very carefully. I've checked every time the word Alma is used in the Old Testament, and in every single case it refers to someone who is understood to be a virgin, not married, not simply a young woman, but a virgin young woman who is not known man sexually. And, uh, and in so, well, but they say, Brother Rice, the word Bethula in the Hebrew is the word that really means virgin. No, it is not. No, it is not. The term is used many times about wicked cities, heathen cities that are called idolatrous and called adulterous. And and so the term is used about them as a, a, a city is often spoken of as she, or with a feminine a pronoun, and so referred to as a virgin or a daughter of a country. And so the term Bethula is used that way, but not of just a virgin, but young woman. For example, in Joel 1, 8, the scripture said, Weep, he said, you, uh, you why, for the husband of thy youth. Oh, um, virgin, the word is translated there, virgin, though that's not a correct translation for the Hebrew word is Bethula, and a woman who had a husband of youth wouldn't be a virgin. Uh, so the word Bethula does not necessarily mean virgin. The word Alma in the Hebrew does. Now, that may sound like I'm being smart, but truth is I know a great deal more about this than you do it, perhaps, and you can learn. And uh, the word Alma, um, how did you get the idea that only met a young woman, not simply a virgin? You got that idea from a heathen man, an infidel Gesenius uh, in Germany, one of the first higher critics who didn't believe the Bible, and who set out to prove it wasn't true. So he made a Hebrew and German lexicon, and so he put the word for the word uh, Alma here. He made that and didn't that made that to mean only young woman, and then that was translated into English, and so the revisers, the revised standard version, and others following this infidel Gesenius, this higher critic who didn't believe the Bible and said so, and everyone tried to break down faith in the Bible. They followed him and said the word Alma just meant young woman, not simply a virgin. They are mistaken. The term is used so many times in the in the scriptures, and the word Alma always could mean virgin and must, and the word Bethula, which they say means virgin, could not mean that and is not. Ah, but there's stronger evidence than that. Uh, back down to 200 years before Christ, uh, a group of 70 Jewish elders got together to translate the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, and that is called the Septuagint for the 70 translators. And um, this uh, Septuagint came to this word, and they translated it for the Greek word Parthenos, which is virgin, as uh, all scholars know and couldn't mean less than virgin, and so they translated that. Now, some Jew who doesn't want to admit the deity of Christ might say it doesn't mean that, but back there, when it was in daily use, the term that all these Jewish elders knew and used, and they said it meant virgin. Now, some modern infidel isn't smarter than they were who used the language every day. Uh, they translated it virgin. Wait a minute. The King James versus, uh, uh, translators came along, and they translated it also virgin. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And they were right about it. But there's a stronger evidence yet. It comes up in the New Testament. God himself translated it, and he said the word meant virgin. Now, let's go back to Matthew chapter 1. And here's a man, troubled man. His name is Joseph. He said, I was going to marry Mary, and now I find she's heavy with child, and what will I do? I didn't believe she could go wrong. And an angel came to him in a dream and told him, don't worry about that now. And listen to it in Matthew chapter 1. And uh, and then he found his thought, and he said, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take of thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, as virgin born. And she shall bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now this was done, that the, that might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, uh, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, that shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. 
So God in the New Testament translated Isaiah 7:14 as virgin, and so it ought to be. It's only a wicked heart that isn't informed and perhaps doesn't want to be informed that would say God isn't talking about a virgin birth here, for he is. Ah, uh, the dear Lord Jesus is born without, with a human mother, but without a human father. I ought to say this, that now, uh, was Mary a perpetual virgin? No, no. Our Catholic friends say so, and they mean well, but the Bible says nothing like that. The Bible says that, uh, that Joseph took her to be his wife and knew her not until she brought forth her firstborn son. Now, that clearly means that he did know her as a wife after Jesus was born. And besides, why should God call her his wife if she never was really a wife to Joseph? The scripture says in Matthew 13 that Mary and the brothers of Jesus were there, and they are named. One was Simeon, one was Judah, or Jude, who wrote the book of Jude. One was James, who wrote the book of James, and so on. All right, so, and it's clear. And back in Psalm 69, foretelling how Judas would go away and how people would turn against the Lord Jesus. And he said, I'm become an alien to my mother's children. All right, so there's evidently the virgin birth. But not that Mary was a perpetual virgin. She was a good woman. She was not sinless. She was not conceived miraculously herself. But she was a normal, good Christian woman, greatly favored, in that she got to be the mother of the Lord Jesus. Now, let's see, then, here's some wonderful truth. Another scripture talks about the virgin birth of Christ. You say it does? Oh, yes. Again and again, the Bible calls Jesus the only begotten Son of God. And like in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The only begotten Son, (coughs) what does that mean? It does not mean, could not mean, that Jesus is the only Son. There's where uh, on a scholarly work in the Revised Standard Version, I translate that uh, that God gave his only son. No, not his only son, because the Bible says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be. We're called the children of God. We're said, said we who are saved are born of God. So Jesus is not the only son. He's the only one who was physically begotten of God. That meant that Jesus was begotten of God, not of a human father, and that his birth was a virgin birth. Oh, all the way through the Bible, it's implied that Jesus is the Son of God, born of a virgin mother. Now, what is the meaning of this, then? That means several things. One thing, Christ is God. You know, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And so in John chapter 5, we learn the Jews, they sought to kill him because he, because he broke the Sabbath and because he claimed to be equal with God. And they said, that's blasphemy. He did claim to be equal with God. He did say, I and my Father are one. He did say, the Father hath given all judgment unto the Son. He did openly claim that every prayer of his was answered. He said, Father, I know that thou hearest me always. He said what the Father says, I said. Jesus claimed to be equal with God. Not only that, he is coexistent with God. That is, he lived as long as God. He is eternal like God the Father. Uh, back in in uh, Genesis and the story of the creation, the Bible said, Let us make man in our own image. You mean God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the plural form of God is used? Yes, that's right. Not three gods, but three persons in one God. And Christ was there. So in John chapter 1, the scripture says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus is, the, is God in expression. Jesus is God as he is revealed to mankind. He is the word, the revelation of God. And he was there with the Father in the beginning of all things. And he is eternal with the Father. Not only that, but Jesus is the creator of all things. It is true the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all had a part in creation. As it is true that all have a part in the salvation of a sinner. God gave his Son 
the Holy Spirit convicts the sinner and works the miracle of regeneration. It is still true that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He did the atoning. He paid the awful debt. He did the sufferings. And so Christ is the Savior, though all had part. In a similar way, Christ is the Creator. So in the first chapter of John, the Scripture says, All things were made by Him. And He was in the beginning with God, all things made by Him. In Colossians, the Scripture also says that He is the Creator of all things, for by Him and for Him were all things made that were made. And Jesus is the Creator of all things. And that isn't all. All judgment is given unto the Son. And so the judgment of Christians at the judgment seat of Christ. And so the awful judgment of the lost, unsaved, dead as they come out of hell to be judged, all in the hands of Jesus. Jesus is God. Oh, and he is my Savior, and can be and would be your Savior. So I beg you today, have this wonderful truth. Jesus is not ordinary. He's extraordinary. Not just a good man. More, than, He's a man, but more than that. Not just a prophet. He's a prophet, but more than that. Jesus is God. Jesus is Jehovah God come into this uh, this world to be our Savior and to be a substitute for wicked men and suffer for wicked sinners like us and pay the debt and save sinners. And so Jesus Christ is God. Oh, I'm glad. Um, I always rejoice when Christmas time draws near. I'm glad to preach about the coming of Christ, and I want you to think about it, rejoice in it with me. And don't be browbeaten by unscholarly infidels that would take away the deity of Jesus Christ. Don't be impressed with their ignorance and their ranting. And so sometimes they say, oh, I remember Dr. Harry Emerson Fosdick, one time said in a letter, and it was published widely, he said, I do not know a single intelligent man that believes in the virgin birth of Christ. Now, in the first place, he wasn't telling the truth. Of course, he knew. Do you really think he didn't think that Machen and that Robert Dick Wilson and that other great scholars, that Schofield and that Ari Tare and Erdman and the great host of scholars, you think he didn't believe they were intelligent men? They knew and openly stated and printed they believed in the virgin birth. No, that's silly. That's the shallow talking of a man with a shallow mind. Very popular mind, but wrong. So don't you be impressed with those that would take away the deity of Christ and sneer at the virgin birth of Christ. The Lord Jesus is born of a virgin. Oh, but best of all, he's my Savior, and I've trusted him. I hope you will today. I want to hear from you. You may have this message and the others of Christmas time all whole month. You may have them free. Just write John R. Rice, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and I'll goodbye and God bless you, everyone. Thank you, Steve. I'm glad to be with you again, and you'll remember that these messages for the Voice Revival broadcast all during December, four messages will be printed in pamphlet form. You may have them absolutely free. Just write to John R. Rice, R-I-C-E, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, 37130. I'm glad for you to have them as they go out to thousands every month. And I want to talk to you today about putting Christ in Christmas. I'm glad this is a month in which we have Christmas, and um, you're getting ready to buy presents for Christmas, and some of us are too. So be sure that you put Christ in Christmas, and that Christmas honors God. You In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it's a good verse to start this and um, lay on your heart. Where, where, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Will you notice that again? Wherefore, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. You mean that the way you eat may glorify God, yes. And what you drink may glorify God, yes. And celebration and revelry, uh, spiritual revelry, not, not ribald and not sensual, but uh, you mean happiness, good times, and gift giving and fellowship, that can glorify God, yes. Make sure that it does. Wherefore, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. We should set out, put Christ first, of course. You have to put this down, that for many, many people, Christmas is a time of reverence. They sell more liquor at Christmas time than any other time in the year. That's sad. That's a shame. 
and no Christian ought to have that attitude toward Christmas or that practice at Christmas and so on. And at Christmas time they have parties and revelry and so how many girls go wrong and how many boys give way to lewdness and how many celebrate Christmas in a way that dishonors God and leads to shame and ruin. I'm saying Christians ought to remember that we're honoring Christ and whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, whether you eat or whether you drink. There are um, it, there are certain rules Christians should follow, of course. Uh, it's not, uh, you shouldn't tell lies. Somebody said, Brother Rice, what do you think about t- talking about Santa Claus? Well, if you simply mean here's a little custom and with, uh, as a little fiction of pleasure, uh, one can speak of Santa Claus, or you might have a Santa Claus in the stores and everybody understanding that it's only a, just like the Christmas decorations and it's a part of the tradition and not that anybody believes it. There's no harm, especially in that. Um, if you don't lie about it and pretend uh, things that are evil and wrong, I'd much better to tell just little children that Jesus was born. Tell that wonderful story of the shepherds on the hillside and the angel coming to announce the birth. Tell about Mary and how glad when the angel came and said, Mary, you're going to have a son at long last God sending the Savior and you to have a son born without a human father. That's a wonderful story. And there's much in the Bible that we can rejoice about. And how Mary and Joseph went all the way from Nazareth down to Bethlehem because it was foretold in the scriptures that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. In Micah 5, 2, it is plainly said that he was to be born in Bethlehem. And so that's a wonderful story. Don't tell a lie at Christmas any more than any other time. And the fellowship let children rejoice in the Savior being born. That sure is a better story and that's a happier thing to tell than the foolish stuff about a Santa Claus coming from the North Pole. All right, so I do not mind if you have some uh, other little figure of Santa Claus, if it's for just a, a little tradition and joke and everybody understands it's that, that's all right. And then let Santa Claus be a symbol for your happy hearts in Christmas giving if you want to. But don't make that a truth and don't make that instead of Christ at Christmas time. Christians ought to make sure that whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, did you know it's all right to remember the birth of Christ at Christmas? Do you think that dishonors God? Someone says, oh, but Brother Rice, it came from heathen sources. Yes, maybe it did. And uh, maybe there's uh, some others that they had a heathen kind of a celebration. But we don't have to be heathens. And you don't have to have it on the same day or whether you do or not. A Christian can celebrate Christmas in a way that will honor God. You know, Jesus said about the Lord's Supper, he said, As often as you do eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. And the Lord's glad for us to remember his death. He wants us to be reminded of it again and again. And so with baptism, it's a picture of the burial and resurrection of Christ. He wants us to remember his, his resurrection and so. And it wouldn't be bad for us to remember the birth. It's put down in the Bible. God wanted us to know it, and God wanted us to enjoy it and rejoice in it. There's nothing wrong about having a celebration, celebrating the birth of Christ and his, his coming. Just so... Whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. And that is not, it's not bad to send gifts. You know, in the first place, oh, to love people is right. And to try to make people happy is right. And in Luke eleven thirteen, the Lord says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And, and like that in Matthew chapter 7, he said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good gifts to them that ask him? So giving gifts to people is not wrong. And, and, and loving people and showing it and saying so, that's not wrong. Oh, I'm glad to have a greeting card and somebody says, I pray for you every day. I got a card yesterday on my birthday. It was not my birthday. I didn't hear for a month yet. But a good woman sent uh, 
a beautiful greeting card and a little letter and a gift of five dollars and she meant that for good. A Christian ought to love people and make people happy and ought to say so and it's good to give gifts one to another. In fact, in uh, Luke six thirty-eight, Jesus said, Give and it shall be given unto you. Uh, heaped up, shaken down, pressed together and running over shall men give to your bosom. Giving is not wrong. I read this morning again an interesting story over here in the Old Testament in the book of Esther. Oh, they like to have had the whole race of Jews brought it out. Uh, they were going to have a massacre and kill them all, but God delivered them and wicked Hamans exposed and himself died. And then the scripture says in Esther chapter 9 and verse 22, as the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies and the mouth which was, uh, their month which was turned them into from sorrow to joy and from mourning unto a good day, that they should make them days of feasting and joy and of sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor. Sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor. Why? They're happy. They've been delivered. The nation is spared. And so they rejoice and loved each other and said so. And they sent portions and gifts. Now that's not bad. It's not bad to have a feast at Thanksgiving time and say, isn't God good to give us all these good things? Now sometimes a Christian ought to go hungry for Jesus sometimes he ought to be thanking God for the wonderful food God gives. And it's not wrong to be happy at Christmas. It's not wrong, I think, to have fruit cake and have turkey and cranberry sauce and mince pies. It's not wrong to have your loved ones all around you at a big table and everybody rejoice. At my house, uh, they'll bring to me a big old apron and put it on me, and they'll bring me the carving knife, and they'll say, Here, now, Daddy, you carve the turkey, and uh, so I will. And we'll have all of them as many as we can get to be a 42 of us, our six daughters and six sons-in-law and 28 grandchildren, and one or two of them married and so some others with us, and so we'll have a good time. Is it wrong to rejoice when God's been good and you're grateful for it and say so? I don't think so. It's not wrong to give gifts at Christmas time and to send greetings at Christmas time. Well, somebody said, Brother Rice, it's the birth of Christ. Oh, yes. The truth is that we ought to honor Christ every day, not only Christmas, but every day. It's true, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't love others and make others happy and give gifts to other people, too. Uh, uh, hurry on here. In um, the scriptures uh, here teaches you should be sure to honor Christ at Christmas. And so whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of Christ. That means there ought to be no drinking of alcoholic liquors. How many people in the old time out in West Texas where I grew up and where people didn't have much money, but at Christmas time they'd save up some money and get some liquor and they'd have, the, they'd have their toddies and they'd drink and some people that wouldn't get drunk through the whole year, they'd get drunk then. And how often I've seen men stand in church and confess and say, I'm so sorry. Uh, I got uh, drinking a little bit and got drunk at Christmas time. I hadn't been drinking for a year. Uh, Christians ought not to drink at Christmas time. All this business of the liquor business and the liquor stores, and that's a poor business for Christians. And uh, any place where they boost the sale of liquor, you better if you can buy groceries somewhere else. And uh, don't put your approval on the liquor business. Uh, it's a bad business at Christmas just as it is any other time. And then there shouldn't be any unspiritual revelry. Why don't you put Christ in Christmas? Um, and that may mean you ought to take much of the story at our house. We'll go through the, third, the second chapter of Luke together. And many of us will know it by heart and about how um, in the days when uh, the king called him to every man to go to his own city to register and that Joseph and Mary came to Nazareth. Now the birth of Christ was on this wise and there wasn't any room in the end and here's the shepherds in the field and here the angels appear to say and the good news on you is born this day in the city of David a Savior Christ the Lord. And why don't you go through the Christmas scriptures together? We will and we'll rejoice and then we'll have some Christmas songs too. We'll sing my song, uh, Jesus, Baby Jesus, and uh, oh, some other good songs we'll sing, Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Pure, All is Quiet, Round John Virgin, Mother and Child, Holy Infant, So Tender and Mild, we'll sing that and other songs, Christmas songs and hymns and carols, and then we'll give some testimonies. And so, I mean, the 28 grandchildren, all but one of them 
control. One of them is harder too yet. The rest of them will. They'll give their little testimonies how God's blessed during the year and we'll praise the Lord for it. Why don't you have a Christian kind of a Christmas and glorify God in that? And all the family will all look back to it with joy and blessing and say, wasn't that wonderful? We had a spiritual happy time at Christmas. So it ought to be. So be sure that you put Christ in Christmas then. And Santa Claus, well, I'd say if you can't have it as a little tradition that everybody thinks is funny, and so you know, everybody knows that's only just a little, put on a little show. If you don't know that, don't do it at all. Don't have any lies about Santa Claus at Christmas. And make much of the story of Jesus at Christmas, and let's put Christ in Christmas as one ought to. Don't you think so? It's a wonderful thing that Christ is born. And let's make it a time of love and joy. I'm glad families can get together at Christmas time. Mine are scattered, you know. Last night, Mrs. Rice called as many of the children as she could and, and were greeting and planning, when are you going to come and the time they'll be here uh, the week before, a little before Christmas time. And what are we going to do about this and that and the other and getting the sizes in case she wants to buy some clothes for this one or that or the other. And let's have a good time of Christian love and let's tell each other we love them. And let's show it. We don't show it often enough that we love our families and uh, let's make them happy and do your honor God by that too. That's a good way to be sure that you do all to the glory of Christ at Christmas time. And then here's another thing. There's so many troubled people. Why don't you find some lonely old people in a rest home maybe? Why don't you find somebody in a hospital maybe? Why don't you find somebody today they're having a funeral service a woman a young woman with little children left and died with a cancer and they're having a funeral here at Murfreesboro well why couldn't you say I'm going to find people are troubled and lonely I'm going to see that they know somebody loves them I'm going to write them little greetings or I'll take them some flowers or some way I'll show my love and make people happy at Christmas the plain truth is it's not so much some expensive gift as the people need love and and uh, friend and and comfort, and I do that. And how many people, if you have a, a group of young people, go and sing some Christmas carols in a rest home? Or sing some Christmas carols sometime, business place, you'd be mighty glad to have that. And uh, now let everybody have, have a kind of a Christian testimony and a Christian good time. And you can comfort people that are troubled and people that are old and people that are neglected and people that are far from home. You'll honor the Lord a great deal if you love those that need loving and comfort those that need comfort. You know, back in Isaiah, the scripture says, comfort ye my people. And that's one of the uh, the solos in the Handel's Messiah um, based on that scripture and people need comfort and you can tell people that uh, this is good news for all people everywhere and Jesus said come unto me all ye that labor and have a laden and I'll give you rest and, and take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I'm meek and lowly in heart and you should find rest under your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light let's make Christ at the bare head and top in Christmas time and let's love him and let me suggest this be sure that in your private devotions your time alone with the Bible and God. Make sure that your heart is happy. Make sure that you thank God for Jesus Christ is coming as a Savior. And let your heart run over with joy. You yourself, you've got a Savior if you've been converted. And dear lost friend, if you're here, one listens today, and you're not a born-again Christian, why don't you say, Oh, Lord Jesus, you came to save sinners. All right, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Come and save me, and turn your heart to him, and trust him. He died for sinners like you. Will you do that? Now, this is Evangelist John R. Rice at the microphone. I want your letters. You may have these messages for December free. Just ask for them, all in a beautiful pamphlet form, the four messages of December for the Voice of Revival broadcast. And when you write, if you can, we have heavy expenses. We'll put on some new stations, and, and we'll need help. Put it If God puts it in your heart, help pay the radio broadcast or some kind of a gift when you write. If I can help you, let me know. Now, goodbye. God bless you, everyone. Thank you, Steve. I'm bringing a message today on the birth of Christ, and I'll read in Luke chapter 2. I hope you'll open your Bibles and look on with me now. As I talk about the birth of Christ, I'm glad to come to this sweet story. In Luke chapter 2, 
And it came to pass in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone, into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judah into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And to be taxed of Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And it was so while they were there, the days were accomplished as she should be delivered according to the... Uh, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring unto you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill to men. And we'll read more of it in a moment. Now there came a decree from Caesar August that all the world should be taxed, everyone in his own city. And this came when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And now they must go back, everyone, to the ancestral city of their forefathers, and there be registered for the taxation. And so Joseph is of the house and lineage of David, and David lived at Bethlehem, and there his father Jesse had lived. And so they must go back there, and so they make the trek down maybe 90 miles or or a hundred. They make the trek down from the town Galilee up of Nazareth up in Galilee and down to Bethlehem. For Micah five two had said that um, uh, thou Bethlehem Ephrathah art not the least of the cities of Judah, for out of thee shall come the governor that shall rule my people Israel. So God had planned the Savior to be born there. <laughs> Isn't it a strange thing and wonderful that God moved the heart of Caesar, emperor of the Roman Empire, and he said one day, I just believe I'll make everybody go back to the ancestral home and register for taxation there. I can imagine that the queen may have said, now that's a silly idea. Uh, you're going to cost, lose lots of taxes. You can't everybody get back there. You'll have it mixed up. No, I'm going to do it. Maybe his um, prime minister said or treasurer said, now there'd be a separate, no, I'm determined this is the way we're going to do it. Because though he didn't know it, God had put it in his heart to have Jesus born in Bethlehem. And Mary is already great with child. And God has already told Joseph, don't be afraid, Joseph, take your wife. She's not, she hasn't been immoral. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And it's going to be a fulfillment of Micah, of uh, Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. She'll call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So don't be afraid. So Joseph brought Mary and they came to Bethlehem. Aren't you glad the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord? Aren't you glad the whole world is in his hand? And later when Jesus is on the cross and, and the Pharisees will say, Now break the legs of these people nearly sundown. We must get them down off the cross by sundown. A new Sabbath, the high annual Sabbath begins at sundown. And they find Jesus already dead in a spear. And the soldier picked up a spear and thrust it up in the side of Jesus and into his very heart, and it gushed out a flood of blood and water. Uh, that soldier didn't know, but it's foretold back in Zechariah uh, that uh, uh, that uh, he is uh, wounded in his hands and feet and side and so on. But the scriptures are fulfilled. They can look. They shall look on me. The scripture said, "Whom they have pierced." And you see. So now, King, here's the emperor at Rome, and he sets it up so Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and he knows nothing about it, but God used the emperor in this matter. And let's see, then, now, here's the, they came to the inn, and they said, now, here we want a room. And I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, David had so many descendants, and now then the town's full of people, and all the well-to-do got all the good rooms and so on, and they had no room for them. And so De Joseph and Mary camped out in a stable, and when the day baby Jesus was born, he was laid in a manger. They had no room for them in the inn. That sounds a little sad, but on the other hand, it's glorious. The Lord Jesus came to die. He didn't come to be king of this earth now. He came to die and be rejected of men. 
He is to be the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Oh, baby Jesus, there in the manger, does the straw prickle you, that kind of a rough bed, and in the swaddling clothes, uh, you came this world to pay for sin for all of us sinners. Um, and little baby Jesus there in the manger, Herod's going to try to kill you. He's going to send soldiers out here to kill every child, every male child, two years old and under, and uh, you're going to have to flee away and run to Egypt. They'll take Mary and Joseph, and the money the wise men going to bring to you, and um, so you can go to Egypt and get away from the wrath of Herod, for Jesus to be hated and despised. Later, he's to come back to Nazareth and go up there, and when he goes to preaching, they'll pick up stones to try to stone him. And in the city of Nazareth itself, in the synagogue, they'll rush him out to the uh, hill of precipitation, hoping to throw him down and kill him there. And at long last he'll come despised and rejected and with a traitor's kiss on his face and, and with his disciples forsaking and the Pharisees slandering him and they'll condemn him to die. I'm just saying Jesus is born in a manger. They had no room in the inn. Oh, but dear Christian friend, let's make sure you and I have room. Let's have room in our houses. It is said that Dr. Uh, that G. Campbell Morgan, the great English preacher, he said, when he was just a young preacher, he built a little home, and he was so proud, and he had his godly father to come to it and led him through the rooms in this little cottage. And his father said, I don't like it. What's the matter? He said, you couldn't tell whether a Christian or a heathen, an infidel lives here. Not a thing on a wall, not, uh, not a motto, not a plaque. There's nothing to mark it as a Christian home. And Dr. G. Campbell Morgan said he learned the lesson. So in every room he put some kind of a motto or scripture verse or some indication this house belongs to God. Well, so they had no room in, in the end. Let's you and I make sure we have room. Room for the Bible. And take time enough to study it and love it. Time to pray, time to go to the house of God, time to serve God, win souls. They had no room in the end. That's too bad. And dear lost sinner, you know, that's the way people go to hell, just not have any room for Jesus. You go your way and have no room for Jesus, no time. Oh, you will someday, you say, not now. Uh, no room for Jesus. And now they were in the same country, shepherds abiding a field by night, the scripture says. If you go to Palestine, as I have a good many times, they'll show you the shepherd's field. It may be the very field where the shepherds had their flocks, and there's a cave where they might have hit, gone out, out from the weather, or it may be. And there, that may be the very field where Ruth the Moabites came and gleaned after the workers of Boaz, and then she married Boaz, and then God gave them a son, and from him, and Jesse, and then uh, then the David was born. That may be the very place, I don't know. But the shepherds were there in the field at night, keeping watch over their flocks, and suddenly the sky was filled with glory. What a light! And they were afraid, and an angel voice said, Don't be afraid, fear not. You know, that's what God's saying to sinners all the time. You know, God didn't send Jesus to hate you. He sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, the scripture says. And so let's have this wonderful thought then. Here's good news. An angel said, Behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. A tidings of joy. Oh, good news, good news, the Savior is born. How long people watch for it. Uh, Simeon, old Simeon, yonder who've been waiting these years, and you said, God told you, you wouldn't die until you'd seen the Lord's Christ. Now they'll bring him into the temple, and you can take the baby Jesus in your arms and <laughs> rejoice and say, Lord, now, now let your servant depart in peace. I've seen my salvation. And here's Hannah, the prophetess. You'll come in and praise God for the baby Jesus. I guess a good many people watching for him. Here's good news for everybody on you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. The good news is what shall be to all people. Well, somebody said, I think it's not for everybody. I think Jesus had died for a particular few, and he favored them. He wanted the rest to go to hell. No, you're wrong. No, this good news for everybody in the world, and those that don't take it, it's their fault. They could. Oh, this is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. This is that one where conscience has told you you're a sinner, and you need the Savior, and you're going to have to answer for it. Yeah, this is good news for everybody in the world. Jesus is born. You could be saved. Mercy is offered free. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And in 1 John 2, 2, we're told he's a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And so Jesus is called the Savior of the world. 
uh, potential then, salvation purchased for everybody, and here's good news, unto you is born this day a Savior. Somebody said, well, now, if I had, if I could get the Irish sweepstakes and make some money, no, no. You say, well, if a lottery, a state lottery, if I could get in and make money, no, no. Or you say, well, if I could make some great invention or get a patent and I'd make lots of money. Listen, you don't need those things as much. What you need is forgiveness and peace and salvation and eternal life and a home in heaven. What we need is a Savior. You know, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 9, he went in all the cities and villages preaching, teaching in the synagogues, and he said, and then he looked on them, he taught them and healed them and fed them, and then he said, but he looked on them and had compassion because they were like sheep having no shepherd. You see, what people need is more than these other things. What they need is a Savior. We need a Savior. Oh, yes. I talked to a poor troubled woman who sat with tears in a service in Dallas, Texas, and she trembled and wept. And I said, come on, Justin. She said, I can't. I can't. I said, yes, you can. He loves you. She said, I can't. You don't torment me. I said, yes, you can. Why not? She said, I can't. I can't. Forget what I've done. I turned to Hebrews chapter 10 and showed her God said, I'll put my laws in their hearts and in their minds so they'll write them. And then he said, by one offering is perfected for everybody of those that are set apart for him. And I said, then he, Jesus said, their sins and iniquities will remember no more. <laughs> you see what Jesus is talking about? Not judgment, but salvation. He's not talking about them. Uh, whether you're good or not, he's talking about salvation for everybody who wants it. And you is born a Savior. And that troubled woman stopped her sobbing, and she said, If he can forget it, I will too. And she came to trust the Savior. I'm saying I'm glad. Good news for everybody. The Scripture said, And you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Oh, good news. And, and everybody can have him if they will. But now the rest of the story is really beautiful. We find those uh, in verse 15 following now. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them and the heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see the thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and that babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which told them concerning the child. All that heard it wondered. Ah, oh, they believed it. They believe it. I hope somebody hears me today and says, I believe it too. I believe Jesus is a Savior. I believe he came to save me. I believe he loved me. He said he did. I believe it. So they believed it, and they came to see. And they hastened. They didn't go slow. They didn't say, well, convenient tomorrow. No, no. Today, that night, they went to Bethlehem, and there found a baby lying in a manger. And you can find him too. You know, why don't you come to him? You say, simply come? Yeah, that's what the Bible says. In John 6:37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. The one that comes doesn't get turned down. Oh, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, come ye by and eat. So that say, buy wine and milk without money, without price. So says Isaiah 55. Isaiah 118 says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they should be as wool. What does God want you to do? Come. So they went hastily. The Bible doesn't need to tell us that their faces lighted up. The Bible doesn't need to tell us that they looked on that Savior and were glad and loved him and trusted him and were born again. No, they came to Jesus gladly. As soon as they could get there, they hurried to do it. And I know I'll meet those shepherds in heaven. I'm glad of that. Isn't this a strange thing? Here are these um, shepherds. They're poor. They're ignorant. I don't know whether they can read and write. Isn't it a strange thing? The announcement is made to them instead of to King Herod in Jerusalem or the emperor at Rome or the chief priest of the synagogue and the uh, and the elders of Israel. Isn't it strange that God doesn't send the angel to announce it to the learned and the high and the governors and rulers? No, no. <laughs> the poor people. I'll show the poorest of the poor. For you see, Jesus was born to save poor sinners. In Isaiah 61, he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the broken hearted, to give deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. Oh, then poor captives, let Jesus deliver you. Oh, blind sinners, let Jesus give you sight. 
and you that are lost, oh, to let Jesus make you well and good today. You know, the prodigal son came home, the father said, My son was lost and is found again, and they began to be merry. They rejoiced. You can come to Jesus today. Would it be a pity for you to have a Christmas and go through still unsaved? You're in God's world. He made you don't love him. And you as some kind of a celebration you'll have for Christmas and then with the Christ or Christmas himself you ignore or reject or go your wicked way without him. What sin, what folly and what tragedy. Why don't you say this Christmas I'm gonna love Jesus Christ. This Christmas I'm gonna have peace in my heart. This Christmas time I'm gonna trust Jesus and say, Jesus, you can have me. I'll give you my heart, my life, my soul. You can have me, Jesus. I'll trust you today when you do that. I want to hear from him. How glad I'd be if somebody writes and said today, I put my trust in Jesus. And not, he's not only your Savior, he's my Savior too, Brother Rice. Uh, will you write to us? I want your letters. I'd like to help if I can. Ask your questions. I'll answer if I can. And will you send us some offering when you can to help in the broadcast be of heavy, heavy expense for these stations? And now, goodbye. God bless. Thank you, Steve. I'm glad to be with you again. And my heart is happy that we've been preaching some on Christmas through this month of December. Today, I'd like to speak on Let Us Have Christmas All the Year. You mean Christmas all of 1977? Yes, that's right. You say that comes but once a year, but the happiness may be just as good. If you won't have a turkey dinner and men's pie and uh, uh, other things that go with Christmas, and if you don't have all the family there, remember the Bible says that a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, and that uh, when they sit down to a meal and the blessing of God is on it, you've thanked him for it, you can have a real Christmas feast if it's only... Oh, beans and cornbread, <laughs> or if it's only a hamburger and uh, something else. Remember, whatever you have, the Bible says in, in everything, give thanks to God. And the scripture said, whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's just as good a scripture for all the rest of the year as it is for Christmas. And now that wonderful Christmas promise in Luke chapter 2 when the shepherds watched their flocks by night, and suddenly the sky was filled with glory, and the angel said to them, and listen to it now in Luke chapter 2, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you to good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, a Savior. You see, Jesus is a Savior, and Christmas time is have Jesus. And we can have Jesus all the year. And all the blessings that he gives are so much better than any incidental blessings that are accompanied by Christmas. First of all, remember that Christ died for the whole world. That comes up often, but we need to remember it again and again. In John chapter 4 and verse 42, uh, people said, We know that this is indeed the Christ. Now we believe it not because of sing. For we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. That's John 4:42. Over in the first epistle of John 4:14 says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, not the Savior of a few, but of the whole world. Now, it's true that not everybody accepts the salvation, but it's purchased for them. Somebody said, Did Christ die in vain? Well, as far as somebody who rejects him turns it down, why, as far as he's concerned, it's in vain. But the love of God was outpoured in the death of Jesus. And I'm glad that love went so far as to every old wicked Christ-rejecting sinner that'll die in his sins and go to hell. Oh, the riches of God's love and the atoning death was for him, too. Paul said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Some people do, therefore, frustrate the grace of God. So he's the saver for the whole world. And in 1 John 2, 2, the Bible says he's a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. I remember uh, uh, one time that I sent a present to a, book, a good book to a pastor. He had wanted me for a Bible, and I could not find time to go, but I sent him a new book, autographed it, and sent it with love, and said, I want you to have this new book as a token of my affection. He sent it back and said, I don't want your old book. You wouldn't come to my church for a Bible, and I don't want your old book. So he sent it back. 
That doesn't mean that I didn't love him. It doesn't mean I didn't give it. It meant he wouldn't receive it. And God gives salvation to everybody. Anyone won't receive it. It's still the gift of God. And Christ is still, as far as his love and provision and atonement is concerned, he's a savior for the whole world. And he's a propitiation for our sins, and not for our own, but for the sins of the whole world. Uh, and so Second Peter 3 and 9 says that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, with this in mind, if Christmas is for the whole world, is it for all the time also? Yes, it is. I thank God. You know, when the Savior didn't mean you shepherds, you go home happy tonight, you got one happy day. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, the rest of their life they had him. I want you to notice we do not have just a Savior in heaven. We have a Savior who is already within us. You know, Lord Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, I'll send you another company in the spirit of truth, and he'll abide in you, he said. And then he said, my Father and I will make our, uh, make our manifest ourselves unto you. Also, the Holy Spirit within, as the Bible puts it in these words, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is not only that there's a Savior for me, I have him already. I have Jesus, and that means I can have the peace tomorrow as well as today. That means on the 4th of July as well as on December 25. That means that when I'm down, just the same as when I'm up. That means when I'm poor, the same as if I had plenty. That means when I'm sick, just the same as if I'm well. I thank God I have a Savior. That's the good news for all the year. And you can have this same good news. Oh, take Christ into your heart. You remember in Matthew 28, 19, 20, Jesus gave the Great Commission, and then he said, And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Oh, Christ is always with us. And in Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, the scripture says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be consent with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Wherefore we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. Not the Lord was my helper when I got saved. He is my helper. And he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That means Christmas all the year and all the years, plural, down on till heaven, doesn't it? So um, this uh, a Savior of today. We can rejoice in that kind of salvation, can't we? And be glad in that kind of salvation. And I hurry on then. We can have that. That means we have eternal salvation. You remember God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, you didn't get life for a day, for a week, for a day. You didn't have, didn't get salvation until you do wrong. Or if you hold out, no, no, you got everlasting life when you got Jesus. You mean that next day a fellow is just as much saved? Yes, sir. You mean whether you work like you ought to? Well, you don't have to put a weather about that for every person that hears me today is falling short of the perfect will of God. You needn't tell me you're sinless and blameless. You needn't tell me you're as good as Jesus Christ. You needn't tell me that there's never one omitted one thing you ought to do, nor never crossed through the line a thing you ought not to say or did say. I'm just saying everybody who hears me has failed, and if God doesn't have a salvation for sinners, and um, that keeps on the keeping as well as the saving, we'd be sure ruined bunch all going to hell. But it's everlasting life that God gives freely. Everlasting life. How many times the Bible says that? In John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, unbelieveth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Or we can rejoice in an everlasting salvation then. And he has promised, I'll never leave thee. We mean the Spirit of God still lives in this body. Oh, yes. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. The Spirit lives in this body. In Second and First Corinthians, is it uh, uh, 5, 19, 20, the Scripture said, What? No, you're not. Your body is the, is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. My body is a temple of God. Not because I'm worthy. I didn't get saved by being worthy. 
Not because I hold out faithful. I didn't start faithful. There's never been anything good about me could earn salvation nor pay back God for the awful cost of the death of his son on the cross. No, I got salvation free because Jesus loved me and died for me and offered it free and I accepted it. Uh, thank God for everlasting life. Um, so I can say like Paul said in Second Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. If I had a lot of money, I don't have. And if I had a lockbox at a bank, I don't have. But if I had a lockbox in the bank and lots of money, I'd go deposit $50,000 in bonds in that lockbox. And, and they'd keep it safe for me. Yes, I know. But I've got a lockbox in heaven, and the Lord Jesus has got my eternal welfare. And it's in the hands of Jesus, my high priest, and he can be perfectly trusted to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, the Scripture says. He didn't say, I am committing. He said, I have committed. Paul didn't say, I will be believing and believing and believing. No, he said, I have believed, and so have I, and I have salvation. Oh, I read again this morning where the Scripture said, Beloved, now have we received the atonement. I've already received it. My sins are already paid for. Well, somebody said, but you might sin again. Yes, not I might, but have. I'm so sorry. But then do you think the Lord Jesus is going to come back and die again to pay for my sins? No, thank God. I've got uh, eternal salvation. And I'm persuaded that neither life nor death nor principalities nor power nor things present nor things to come shall separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You see, I have everlasting life. That'd be just as much Christmas in the middle of the year as on December 25, isn't it? And here's another thing, not only eternal salvation, but I have peace with God. Oh, the peace the Savior gives, peace I never knew before. And you can just trust Jesus. He said on this, um, he said, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And Jesus said in John 14, he said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. He said, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I have peace with God. I thank God there are no great back tragic things that will have to come to face Jesus that haven't been already covered by the blood of Jesus. And he's my Savior. I mean Savior for the whole year, everlasting life. Isn't that good? And peace with God. And that means that I have a right. I've already got a, an agreement. And that's like a fellow that's in a business that often comes up in controversy and he has a full-time lawyer. Well, I have a full-time lawyer up at the court of heaven. That's Jesus Christ, my high priest, who ever lives to make intercession for me. And so I've got that settled. That means I have a right to come to God with all my problems and burdens. I belong to him. I'm in his hands. He bought me and paid for me. His Holy Spirit lives within me. He is my Savior, not just a Savior far off in heaven, but within my body, his Spirit manifesting Christ. And so, as the Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I have a Savior. I'm in the family. And that means that God is a good Father to take care of his family. In Romans 8.32, he said for, um, that uh, God who spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall not with him freely give us all things? So, Christian, why don't you make this year going to God and getting what you need and being happy? Um, I'd put him first in the giving business. You remember in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, he said, he just said, don't worry about your food. He just said, take no thought for tomorrow what you'll wear. He said, the birds are there. They're cared for. Your heavenly Father feeds them. He said Solomon in all his glory wasn't dressed up like a, a wild flower that God's care for. Aren't you worth more than flowers and worth more than birds, he said. So he said uh, in Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Why don't you say this year, I'm going to put Jesus first. I'm going to put him first so I won't be covetous. He what money I have belongs to him. What I possess, God possesses. Or any talent or gift or friend or loved or whatever, I'm going to let Jesus Christ be in charge. That's the way. In Springfield, Missouri, a young college girl came to me when I preached on put Christ first in everything. Let him have the say. Let him run the whole business. And she said, I'll do that for everything but one thing. 
I want to select the man I marry myself, and so on. I said, you'll make a mistake if you do. If you don't let Jesus help you and bring that thing right out so you know you're marrying in the will of God. But she said, I, I would like to have my own way about that. She went away weeping, but later she came back to say, yes, that's right. I'm going to let Jesus have the first place in everything. So why don't you seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things should be added unto you, the scripture says. And you can have every need supplied all the time. Why don't you have, oh, have Christmas this year? And when you, that day after Christmas, and you, you'll be eating up some of the leftovers from the turkey and the dressing, and you'll still have some mince pies or, um, or, um, mince meat pies, perhaps. And it, maybe you'll be, oh, still, you got the wrappings from all your gifts and scattered over the house, and they have put the boxes and the ribbons and the papers away. But I'd set out to have Jesus in my heart, warm and sweet. I'd set out to enjoy the Lord. Let it know, I'd set out to do the things a Christian ought to do all the year. I'd put Christ first. Put Him first in the money business. Put Him first in the love and affection. Put Him first so that uh, when you go to give money, you, Jesus, this belongs to you, just what you want. That's all I want to do. It all belongs to you. Just show me where to put it, and I'll try to do what you say. And what it says, I'm going to make people happy. I'm going to be good to other people. And Jesus says, you want to be great? Then be a servant of all. Oh, I'd say I'd go to the, some of the rest homes. I'd go to the jail. I'd visit people in trouble. I'd love people who need loving. I'd remember people who in some trouble and accident. I'd make other people happy. And as sure as the world, a lot of that happiness will roll back on you. Um, happiness is not something found as you seek for happiness. Happiness, as Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, is something you stumble over in the road of duty. You do right, and God will make you happy. You'll be a blessing to others, and you'll be happy also. And oh, what else then? Make it a life of trust and peace. Take care of a burden to the Lord. Somebody wrongs you, forgive it. Don't hold it right. Forgive it and be happy. Then let's make this a time of wedding souls. I'll set out to seek the will of God and win souls this year. Oh, may God give you a good year with Christmas all the year. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.